Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm thrilled that you're tuned back in. Well, as you know, over the last few weeks, we've been replaying some of the presentations and Q&As from our recent Engage conference. Well, I'm going to replay our last presentation from that conference, and this is a presentation I gave, kind of a basic intro to apologetics. I hope you enjoy it. Today, I want to look at 1 Peter 3.15, kind of the, the foremost scripture, you might say, on apologetics. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me, and we're going to unpack this for the next half hour, and I think we're going to draw some very important principles from this short passage. But 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, we're going to draw a lot out of this. We just heard from, from Frank Turek, from Michael Brown, from Craig Evans and Craig Blomberg on a, on a host of apologetical issues. I hope you were encouraged. But now we're going to take it to a little bit more of the application level. So I, I just want to encourage you, you have to get this. This is very important. This has to transfer into the relationships around us. We have to take this knowledge and make it a part of reaching people for Christ and dealing with our own doubt. So I wanted to start here because this is where the word apologetics comes from. Many of you know this, but the Greek word that's used here when it talks about giving an answer or giving a defense is the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. So apologetics isn't the art of apologizing, but it's the art of giving a defense, right? So it's giving a defense for your Christian faith, for what we believe to be true. Dealing with doubt is critical. There are times when you have to give a defense to yourself. Uh, I'm going to talk about what that looks like, but you need to be prepared to do that. There are also going to be times where you have to give a defense to others, all right? We're going to unpack maybe five different keys from this passage. I'll say them right now just so you're on the same page, but first, we need to relinquish control. Uh, Second, we need to resolve to be a light. This world needs the truth of the gospel. Next, we need to ready ourselves, I'll say it a few times, but unconvinced apologists are unconvincing. There are a lot of really bad apologists out there, and a lot of adamant atheists like to refer to them to shoot you down. So don't be one of them, right? Equip yourself to actually coherently deal with real questions that, are come up, that will come up. Okay, next, reach out. There's a world. We need to take the initiative to reach out to them, not just waiting for them to come to us. And finally, respect those you share with. This has to be done within a context of respect. We are not in this to cut people off, to bulldoze people with our answers. We want to approach them in a respectful way. So we want to talk about dealing with doubt, defending your faith, and I want to close with a challenge to do it well. Those three things are important. We need to do this well. You know, my story is that I needed apologetics, (laughs) kind of like Grant. I grew up in a Christian home. I put my trust in Christ at a young age, but the questions never stopped coming. 
they always flooded my mind. And every time I'd hear something, it would take me right back into this place of having to know. And I realized as I grew that apologetics were almost like a, it was a survival thing for me. Okay. So my own personal story was that God uh, put people around me that could refer me to some good resources. I remember my dad sharing Josh McDowell's stuff with me and things like that. And that really helped me tremendously in my faith. Uh, I hope that what you hear today will do the same for you. And not just for you, I hope it will equip you to do the same for others around you. Because you have a lot of people that need that. So let's talk about dealing with doubt. Um, we, we need to know the hope that we have, we're told here. And sometimes you're going to question the hope that you have. Again, that's not something to freak out about or to worry about. We all have doubt about all sorts of different things. You might doubt whether you married the right person, whether you picked the right career, whether you studied the right thing in college, whether you bought the right house, whether you bought the right car, all those different decisions that you make, all the different things that you think you'll have questions about. It's human nature. So the important thing is not to freak out, but to know how do I handle those doubts? How do I process them? Now, there are different types of doubt. There's intellectual doubt where there's a real question that needs a real answer. There's also emotional doubt where there's this nagging that just keeps going and going, and it's not really based on a real question, but it's a nagging that's really there. And I want to address both those. So let me give you an example of an intellectual doubt. You might have heard last fall that modern science has disproved the Bible because it proved that the Canaanites were not annihilated like the Bible says they were. Okay? The Independent ran a story saying, quote, The Bible says Canaanites were wiped out by the Israelites, but scientists just found their descendants living in Lebanon. That wasn't just in the Independent. The New York Times ran an article that had almost an identical title. And it wasn't just in news sources. It was actually even in the journal Science. Can you believe that? Okay. Most of you already know what's wrong with this, right? There's an intellectual question here. But here's the reality. The Bible never says the Canaanites were wiped out. Right? Jesus even talks to Canaanites in the New Testament. A bunch of these people had to retract those articles after this very poorly done study came out because they realized it was garbage. So there was an intellectual doubt, and here's an intellectual answer. Do you get the point? Now the answer solves the intellectual doubt, the story, the, the question's over. That's very different from emotional doubt that kind of nags at us. Maybe we have the answer, but we just keep asking. Many of you have been there. Now, the important thing to do when we deal with that kind of doubt is to keep bringing ourselves back to the truth. Dr. Habermas, years ago, referred me to a book called Telling Yourself the Truth. And the principle is as these things keep coming up, whether it's doubt or in the book they talk about others, depression and hatred and anxiety and all these things, as these things come up, we need to cultivate a habit of taking ourselves back to the truth of God's word, reminding ourselves of what's true. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, taking every thought captive, making it obedient to Jesus Christ. So as you deal with doubt, I want to encourage you. If it's an intellectual doubt, find a good answer. I've never found a question that there wasn't a good answer for. If it's emotional doubt, get serious about taking yourself back to the truth and cultivating that habit of constantly saying, I'm not just going to let this doubt linger. I'm not just going to let it fester. 
but I'm going to be diligent to deal with it and to take it back to the truth. That's important. So dealing with doubt is critical, and we need to make a habit of telling ourselves the truth. We need to do this for ourselves. We need to do it for our kids and for our grandkids. There was a a young lady that interned with us several years ago, and she went to her youth group leader with some of these very doubts and questions. And the youth group leader, I kid you not, and Aaron's here to vouch for it, told her, or I guess it was the youth group leader's wife told her, if you're going to ask questions like that, you might as well become an atheist. Can you believe that? I thank God she didn't. (laughs) And her and her husband are now working with a church down in Texas, uh, thriving in life and ministry. Uh, Don't be that person. And I hate to say this, but having done college ministry for many years... Aaron and I have heard time and time and time again that same kind of story from people. I was always told not to ask those questions. Uh, we need to be able to deal with those questions in a respectful way with solid answers. I'm going to take a minute right here. Uh, Dr. Habermas just walked in. <laughs> if you're excited to hear him, give him a hand. It's going to be a great afternoon. Okay, coming back to dealing with our own doubt. It's absolutely critical that we develop a discipline of dealing with doubt when it crops up, finding answers, taking ourselves back to the truth so that we can be strong and so that we can help others around us do the exact same thing. Now, I also want to encourage you with that next thing. We talked about uh, dealing with doubt and defending your faith. Let's get into defending our faith a little bit and doing it well. Uh, there There are five keys in this passage and 1 Peter 3.15. And the first one that I see there is to relinquish control. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Uh, There's a surrender issue here, right? We are called to surrender to him, to recognize him as Lord. And you guys, he has called us to something very special. There is a world all around us that needs to know what you know. And it is time for us to say, I'm not in charge, God. You're in charge. Use me. Just like Isaiah said in 6.8, here I am, use me. That's what we're all called to. Yesterday, I sat on the plane next to a a young lady. And the second I saw her, I knew I was supposed to share with her. And uh, she came and she sat down next to me. And I said, hey, how's it going? What's your name? And she just looks at me like, how dare you ask me that quickly what my name is? I felt so awkward. And I kind of gently and respectfully tried to keep um, asking questions that might open up a conversation. And slowly, she opened up to me. By the end of the flight, she was telling me, I need this. I need Jesus. I know what you're saying is true, and it's a step that I need to take. And I know I need to do this for my kids because they need this too. But you guys, there are people like her all around us. And the question at the end of the day is, am I going to surrender to the Lord and be available to him to be used by him however he desires? So we start here with this first key, relinquish control. God, I'm yours. Here am I. Use me. I want to be a light. I want to share the truth of the gospel with those around me. I want to be able to answer the authentic questions that they have in a coherent way. Key number two is resolve to be a light. Okay? It follows directly from relinquishing control. If I relinquish control, it follows that I'm going to resolve to be a light. I want him to shine through me. And in Matthew 5, Jesus told us, to shine brightly and to not cover that light. We're all given this incredible opportunity to point to him. I think a key here is that apologetics has to happen in the context of evangelism. 
I think apologetics is important for dealing with good questions when they come up. But honestly, guys, it happens in the context of sharing our faith. As we tell people about Jesus, they're going to know about the hope that we have, and they'll know to ask us about the hope that we have. So don't get the cart ahead of the horse. Sometimes people just need to hear the gospel, and they're ready to trust Christ, okay? Uh, Other times they have some real questions. We should be prepared to answer those when they come up. And that's the next key, ready yourself. We're told here, always be prepared. This is where you as Christians need to engage with me for a minute. You need to remember what you just heard from the speakers this morning, and you need to be prepared to learn a lot from Dr. Gary Habermas this afternoon. It is absolutely critical that we diligently decide to ready ourselves, to prepare to do this well. Again, unconvinced apologists are unconvincing. So it is our trust from the Lord to try to persuade men. Sometimes people say, uh, we can't persuade people. Have you ever heard that? It's garbage. Did you know that Paul did it all the time? (laughs) In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that as his ambassadors, we try to persuade men. And then about Paul, we're told that he did it in Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Caesarea, and Rome. In all those places, it says he persuaded people. We are called to this this, uh, incredible opportunity of reasoning with people and helping them work through their objections to find a savior. Of course, we don't change a heart. The Holy Spirit has to work in their lives, but we're called to partner with the Holy Spirit in what he's doing. So it is imperative that we diligently prepare to persuade those that we share with. Now, here's a little bit of what often happens in the Christian world. Somebody uh, approaches the non-believer, maybe in evangelism, maybe at work. I don't know the context. You pick it. And the person says, well, why do you believe what you believe? And usually the Christian has no coherent next answer. They might say something like, well, evolution is false. I believe that it's true that evolution is false. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is who he says he is. Does that make sense? We should be equipped to deal with evolution when it comes up. But even if evolution is false, that doesn't mean we're right. A lot of times people have no coherent answer to this question. So that's why we put together the best facts. Uh, The best acronym gives us four good arguments for the existence of God. There are others, but these are four good ones that you as a Christian owe it to yourself to learn. The facts acronym gives us five good arguments for why we can trust that the Christian faith is true, and specifically why we can trust the Bible, okay? I'm going to kind of go through these in just a minute. We also have the Tall Tales acronyms. They're in your books. We only do two chapters on all the Tall Tales because there's a point here. We should not make our case shooting down other people's cases. If that comes up and you can respectfully show them where they're wrong, Do that respectfully. But we should make the majority of our defense a defense of our faith, not a rebuttal of theirs. If it comes up to to show them where they're off, that's great. I would rather talk to somebody about the evidence for the resurrection than why the Quran is wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? Let's keep the focus on the big things. The tall tales, though, give us some arguments against other worldviews and against uh, evolution and atheism and naturalism. Okay, let's, let's kind of look at those. So the best acronym goes something like this. The beginning of the universe. 
Philosophers have long called this the cosmological argument for God's existence, and it's very compelling. There was once an atheist that wanted to debate me on the, on the radio show about the moral argument for God's existence. And I said, sure, we can do that. But I said, how about we also do a debate on the cosmological argument for God's existence? He said, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I think this is a very strong argument. And it goes something like this. Anything that begins to exist has a cause for its existence. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause for its existence. And you can extrapolate from there various characteristics of what that cause must have been. All-powerful, all-knowing, relational, personal, lots of different things flow from that argument. It's a compelling argument for God's existence. I don't think you need to get too deep into that, but literally just telling people the the beginning of the universe points to God. I think most people recognize that. Okay, And just so you know, science has confirmed that there was a beginning to the universe, right? Isn't that fun- just phenomenal? So we have, a, we have a lot to work with here. Next is E, the engineering of the universe. This is the design argument, okay? And actually, it's not just one argument. There are different ways to word it. But Dr. William Lane Craig puts it this way. Either the universe is a product of chance, necessity, or design. It's easy to show that it's not the product of chance, There's no statistical reason that it should exist. It's easy to show that it's not the product of necessity. There's no reason it should exist. In fact, there are many it shouldn't. It follows then that it is the product of design. So it is a good logical argument, but the power of it it is is that it's compelling. Most people know this. They look around the world and they see this as true. There was an atheist that I used to meet with on pretty much a weekly basis to go through some of this stuff. And he came back from uh, his Christmas break one time. And he said, uh, I believe in God. And I said, well, that's wonderful news. What happened? He says, well, I was at a party, and I went out on the balcony to smoke a cigarette. I'm going, yeah. And uh, I looked up at the sky. Yeah. Then what? No, that, I looked up at the sky. Okay, yeah, I'm tracking with you. Then what happened? No, I looked up at the sky, and it clicked, God exists. <laughs> right? It just, it's intuitive. We realize design when we see it. And sometimes it really clicks. So I think when we're defending the existence of God, it's quite simple to say this universe is designed by a designer. And I think that points to God. Standards and morality. You know, Dr. Turek talked about it a minute ago. But if we're all just atoms and molecules, there's no right or wrong, right? Like he said, uh, how, how much carbon is in the justice molecule? <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy question. There's something more going on here. There's a standard outside of us that determines what's right and wrong, and that points to God. This is not a weak argument. It goes something like this. Dr. Craig would word it like this. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. It's a compelling argument, and it's convinced many very, very, very bright intellectuals of God's existence, including C.S. Lewis. This was one of the main things that drove him to faith in Christ. It's a compelling argument. I encourage you to study up on it and be prepared to use it. Now, T in the best argument is the truth about Jesus. This is the best evidence that we have. If you have to go to any one thing, go to this. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was God in human flesh, that he walked on this planet as a real man 2,000 years ago, did things nobody else had ever done, taught things nobody else had ever taught, 
changed the world like nobody else had ever changed the world, but did something nobody else had ever done. He raised the dead, predicted his own resurrection, and then rose also from the dead, and then promised that anyone who believes in him would have the same thing to look forward to. Guys, at the end of the day, there's nobody else that even offers this. Sometimes people say, why Christianity? Why not something else? Well, nobody else is even offering what Christianity is offering, right? But it's better than that. It's true. You're going to hear this afternoon from Dr. Habermas some of the evidence for the resurrection. And it's compelling. It's irrefutable. And the reality is, if that is a fact of history, and it is, then God exists, and he came here as the man Jesus Christ to offer something that nobody else ever has or ever could, right? That's the the, the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I know not everybody here has a relationship with Christ. So those are some good arguments for God's existence. Next, we go into the facts acronym. Why do I believe the Bible? It foretells the future. Prophecy exists throughout the Old Testament, even in the New. Dr. Evans talked to us about the Isaiah 53 prophecy and some other prophecies. Those are all important, important uh, reasons to know that, that this came from God, who knows the future, right? Naturalism absolutely falls apart if any prophecy has ever been accurate. Does that make sense? And what we see in the Bible is uh, hundreds of prophecies about Jesus, over a hundred prophecies. Some very, very clear things that he could not have uh, made up on his own or fabricated on his own. Surely somebody could have tried to like, you know, make some of these prophecies come true in their own life. But that wouldn't apply to things like where they'd be born, how they'd be born, how they would die, things like that. He had no control over those things. Okay, the Bible's prophetic. It foretells the future. A, it's archaeologically accurate. We had an incredible find that was just uh, uh, in the news this past week, the Isaiah uh, seal. Again, I think Dr. Evans talked about that a little bit, too. Just one example of many different archaeological finds that continue to demonstrate the truthfulness of Scripture. You should have a few of those in your hip pocket. You should know what some of those archaeological finds are. We go through a handful of them that are good to know in, this, uh, in the best facts, but it's not a comprehensive list. So study up and learn what some of those archaeological finds are. Next, the coherence of Scripture is absolutely important. Scripture is internally coherent. There are supposed contradictions that the atheist might throw at you, but there are good answers to all of them. It's internally coherent. doesn't disagree with itself. It's externally coherent. It, it actually relates correctly to the universe around it, archaeologically, scientifically, things like that. It's also personally coherent. It defines my condition perfectly. Dr. John Oswalt puts it like this. He says there are only two world religions, the one that says you can do it on your own and the one that says you can't and you need a savior. Uh, The Bible accurately describes our condition and a solution that is actually available to all of us in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. It's coherent. Uh, The Bible is translated correctly. We heard earlier today about some of the textual evidence and why we can trust the New Testament and the Old Testament manuscripts. It's textually accurate, and it's been translated correctly. Of course, there are bad translations out there, but there are also Greek and Hebrew manuscripts that we can go back to and get very good translations from. Okay, finally, guys, science in the Bible. I don't think this is our only argument, 
Uh, these things are compelling. My undergraduate degree was in chemistry, so I like science. And there are things in the Bible that just blow my mind. Uh, the fact that the universe began with light. You know, Steven Weinberg, one of the most notorious atheists of our time, a Nobel Prize winner, says the predominant feature of the early universe was light. Yeah, we knew. <laughs> we knew that, right? Uh, you could go on and on, but there are numerous different scientific statements in the Bible. The expansion of the universe, many things like that. It's important to know those. Those aren't the only reasons that I believe the Bible, but I think they're part of a comprehensive case that helps us defend the Bible coherently. You guys, I encourage you to memorize the best facts. Even just a short little snippet. When it comes up, it can go something like this. Someone says, Skylar, <laughs> why, why, why do you believe in Jesus? You, you're, isn't that crazy? You can say, well, I, I believe God exists because the beginning of the universe points to that. The engineering of the universe points to that. Um, the fact that we all know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, that points to God too. And... Uh, Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection are also historical facts. And that convinces me that God exists. You know, I also believe that we can trust the Bible. You know, the Bible is prophetic. It foretells the future in many different instances. Archaeology continues to support what it says. It's coherent in a way that other books aren't. It is translated correctly, too, by the way. We can know what was originally written. And uh, there are even these scientific statements in the Bible that show me that it was inspired by somebody that knew how the universe worked. Uh, you say something like that in a respectful way, most people aren't going to say, oh, you foolish Christian that doesn't know what you're talking about, right? Then, then you deal with the smokescreen and you get to the gospel. That's happened many times. There was a young lady that came to us and she said, I can't believe in God because I'm an evolutionist. So we had her over for dinner. We began talking about evolution and she's going like this. She's looking all over. I just realized evolution is not her issue. Uh, so we just started relating to her, asking her questions. Turned out she had been uh, horribly abused in her past. And her problem was the problem of evil. How could God allow that to happen to me? And as we talked with her that night, tears started flowing. And by the end of the night, she'd put her faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, let this be a way to get through smoke screens and to answer honest questions. But keep the focus on the gospel and the person in front of you that needs a savior. Do that in a respectful way. So I'm going to go on because we don't have a ton of time here. But the next key is to reach out. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, people can't ask you about the hope that you have if they don't know you have any hope. And I got news for you. They're not going to see it in your eyes. <laughs> they might. I was in a chemistry lab once and, and uh, all the students said, Nate, there's just something different about you. And I'm like, yes, they see it. They see it. And they go, you're the only one in here that's not wearing goggles. <laughs> I was like, dang it. <laughs> so it, it wasn't coming through as clearly as I thought it was. You guys, you have a hope that the world needs. And if they see it in you and they ask you about it, wonderful. Be ready to answer it. But maybe consider sharing the hope that you have so they'll know to ask you why you have that hope. And when those objections come up in a respectful way, work through them so that they can find the same Savior that you found. Uh, take the initiative, guys. The Bible tells us, Jesus himself tells us, the harvest is ripe. Okay, respect those you share with. Do this with gentleness and respect. The world is getting darker. Just like Dr. Turek mentioned a few minutes ago, he gets hostile, or hostile questions and accusations at these campuses. You might encounter the same thing. Don't react to that. Love these people. Respect them. Honor them. 
Share the truth of the gospel with them. Work through their objections, but do it in a loving way. You know, as we close, uh, we've talked about dealing with doubt, and we've talked about defending our faith. I've briefly summarized some good arguments for God's existence and for the truth of the Bible. And there are some people here today that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it would be crazy for me to go any further without giving you an opportunity to make that decision. And I'll just be very bold here. I believe that you know this is true. I know there are people here that don't have a relationship with Christ. They're hearing some of this evidence. I'm going to put it on the line. You know this is true. You know that everything else you've always believed is empty and that this is true. Um, I'm going to ask you not to fight it, but to simply say right now, I'm surrendering. Jesus is Lord. I'm handing it over to him. And to come to him and say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. I want you to be my Savior and Lord today. If you're at that point of taking that step, would you tell him that right now uh, in your heart? You don't have to do this out loud. Let him know that you're ready to believe in him as Savior and Lord. You guys take this, use this, internalize this, and go out from this place and realize that God has an incredible, incredible, incredible calling for each of you to be a light for him. Thanks so much for listening again this week. I hope that you'll go to godsolutionshow.com and get all of our past shows under the past shows tab. Definitely let us know what you think about the show while you're there. And if you made a decision today to put your trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that God will continue to grow you in your faith. And I'd love to ask you to let me know about that through the contact form. I'd love to encourage you in your faith. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.